This was probably the hardest company to research when it comes to their name. Like every time I would look up revenue on, profit on, Google was like waiting, waiting for me to finish the sentence, but I was done. Like the company is called on. on Apple. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it was, you know what? I nearly had to know about that as well. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah. They, need to, they need to think about the brand name. <laughs> I don't yeah. think they're going to change it now for us. But yeah, it did make it slightly challenging to uh, I thought to it research. was named On Running. <gasps> well, so that was where I came from mm. because I have a very special connection with On. Mm. Uh, but yeah, apparently it's not only running anymore. Absolutely not. More about that very soon. Um, so yeah, welcome to the another business design teardown where we look into the darlings of design community, companies, products that we designers love to find out if that's just a fancy design or is it fancy and good business as well. My name is Alan. I am founder of the DMBA. I'm Franz, program director of the DMBA. And I'm Tom. I'm an independent product designer and design strategist and also host of the DMBA webinar series. Um, it's a little excuse for me to talk about uh, an event we had this week with the wonderful Vitaly Friedman. Um, if you were there live, thanks for joining. It was such a great session. So much good stuff in there. Vitaly was as generous as ever with his knowledge. Um, if you weren't there, sort it out. Why weren't you there? But no, I forgive you. You can now watch the recording of that event if you go to d.mba forward slash webinars. You can see all our webinars on there. And just click on the Vitaly one and you'll be able to watch the recording back. It was a fantastic session and we've got some more cooking coming up very soon. So, yeah, we we both there. I know Alan was. I was. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So the topic was metrics, right? So it if was. you're wondering about UX metrics and how to implement those into work, yeah, Vitaly went, I was just impressed into the level of details and the specificity of his uh, advice was inspiring. It was super practical as well. Um, so if you want some advice, some tips, some mindset shifts that you can put into action really quickly, um, then give it a watch. It was fantastic. So yes, d.mba forward slash webinars. But back to today's episode. So we are tearing down on, or as Fran, Fran said, is it on running? Is it on cloud? No, apparently it's just on capital O, capital N. Although the URL for the website is on running, Franz, in your yeah. defense, to be And fair. on Wikipedia, it's on, in brackets, brackets company. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. They do own... They were also confused. <laughs> they do own on.com as well. But if do you type they? it in, yeah, then it redirects you to on-running.com. Yeah. So they're confused themselves. They are, I think they're not confused. I think that is a core piece of why they're successful mm. on running. Tell me, what, what do you think that's the core? Nah, I think that's going to be... I the, think they're successful despite the name, but... That's just <laughs> <not> despite, <laughs> I think it shows their focus and that's a little cliffhanger on dun, dun. Um, something that I'm going to share later. Yeah. It's a little cliffhanger on... on. On, on. on. Oh, Every boom. time I typed the word on when I was doing my research, I was like, oh, yeah, not the brand, oh, man, just and the I, word. I, key, I, like the way I work with these uh, business reports, I use a lot the uh, find function 
And usually I would type in the name of the company. I don't know, Lululemon. I didn't、mm. even have to type in the full name. Just I would type in Lulu. Yeah. I would find. But here, if I typed in on, I would get like thousands of <laughs>、yeah. results. Oh, I had the same thing because I'd, I'd, I'd liked a few tweets way back about、um, on actually that were quite amusing. And I was like, I'm going to mention those in the podcast. Can't find them because obviously so many words have O N and on. Forget. So sorry, you've missed out on those those、yeah. hilarious tweets. But、um, yes, on on running on cloud, on.、Uh, so who are on and why have we chosen to tear them down today? They are a Swiss performance running footwear apparel now brand. Definitely our first Swiss brand, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong.、Um, Aren't that many huge Swiss brands that we're aware of in that may be accessible to to most of us? Obviously, there's a few、uh, in the kind of watch and jewelry space that I'm not sure we will get around to tearing down.、Um, but yeah, Swiss brand focused initially on performance shoes, mostly running. We're going to get into that in a sec. But like I said, have expanded now into footwear for other pursuits, but also into apparel. Um, and I'm sure Franz will、uh, dive a little deeper into that later. But the focus, really, regardless of the pursuit and the type of apparel, is comfort and performance. And the sort of original thinking around the footwear was this should feel like running on a cloud. And we get into the sort of founders' thinking on that in just a little bit. Why are we tearing them down? Well. This is a brand that has been experiencing massive growth, really having a moment in a space that is really dominated by a few big brands. I wonder who those could be. I don't know if anyone's watching this on YouTube. Franz is <laughs> is representing、it's, his favourite today. I'm wearing my heritage. <laughs> You've got a bit of a bit of a love affair with Adidas, right? So you're rocking rocking that today. I know you used to work、yeah. with them, right? Exactly. So, if you work for a company for such a company that's so lifestyle focused for four or five years, it's like like that's brainwash in <laughs> in reality, right? So,、um, uh, yeah. Still, most of my closet that I own, when it comes to sports apparel and shoes, is Adidas. Except they don't have anything in this、um, sports category, which is. Rare, so yeah,、um, but I was part of the birth of On. Oh, yeah. When are you, when are you going to touch on it? Do you want to do that now? Are you going to do that in a bit? I will talk about it later, but I can already、yeah. tell you that I was、uh, just starting.、Uh, so I worked for Adidas while I was a student.、Mm. So in the very beginning, I was also in shops sh- selling shoes, and later then training staff and like. Assisting、um, go to market of、uh, new products, but in the beginning it was also just in source、uh, selling shoes. And obviously, you don't only have the shoes of your own company, but you also have shoes of every other company. And yeah, that was interesting when on came to the market. Ah, okay. I thought you were gonna、uh, claim that you were. <laughs> It has some integral parts play. I'm not. I'm、yeah. not. I'm not. Do you own any stocks? I, I, oversell, <laughs>、yeah. I oversold that a little bit, right? When I said I was part of the birth of. Oh、so、yeah. Teeny, teeny little 
weeny bit, Franz. Um, <laughs> I'm going to start making all kinds of bold claims to, to being behind the success of companies. No, was... I've got a Lululemon jumper down there. I had nothing to do with their success. Um, <laughs> and talking of which, uh, yes, I'm repping a, a Nike top today. Went on a run earlier. Going to talk about that. So it believes that uh, Alan is representing our OG Lululemon. teardown brand, Lululemon, as well. So we've yeah. got everyone covered, but I don't think on. Um, so yes, on having a moment, definitely. Um, I think a big part of that is due to another reason why we're tearing them to down down today, which is very very unique design. If you have not seen on running shoes have a quick google it's like a okay wow interesting moment when you first see the brand when you first see the shoe and it's definitely got a very unique silhouette um it's a bit of a love it or hate it a bit like birkenstock that we've covered before maybe like crocs things like that it's definitely like Meh. but i wouldn't uh, put it into the the same bucket of like i think crocs is almost like by design ugly and right. birkenstock birkenstock almost the same but like i think on is trying to be nice and i would say some of their models are are cool yeah i i but definitely my, have warmed to them but my um, I, i'm gonna ask you a question in a moment that we'll maybe we'll explore this a little bit more but design definitely a big reason why we're tearing them down today and the fact that they're challenging the status quo these big players in the market not just challenging them from a um, brand perspective but from a technology perspective the way that they design their shoes the way they work are very different um, and, they're, and they're winning like we're going to get into that a little late with Alan but the numbers don't lie they are really starting to have inroads uh, in their niche and who knows where they might go I think another reason why I think they're quite fun to cover on a show like this is they've really been adopted by tech bros as well um, it used to be Allbirds. I'm sure you're familiar with the brand Allbirds. It was yeah. like the the Valley uniform, right? Uh, Allbirds, aka Salesforce ones, which I always liked. <laughs> um, Ouch! And, <laughs> and you know they go very well with the Patagonia fleece. <laughs> so yeah, they've been Zibron vest, <laughs> the success vest. Yeah, as, as they call it. I saw a really cool meme. Uh, uh, about Patagonia's West, uh, basically their pullover. Mm. And um, the meme was like on the left side, what Patagonia West was designed to see. And there was a photo of mountains and nature and lakes and, you know, like beautiful nature. And then what this vest actually sees day to day. And there was a, a logo of Microsoft PowerPoint, Microsoft <laughs> Excel, <laughs> board meetings. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's like, yeah. That's yes, a good one. indeed. So, yeah, on have become, you know, part of that that cultural bubble. I'll leave it there. Um, question to you both. What was your initial reaction to seeing an on design for the first time? Can you remember? Didn't like it. Didn't like it. No. Why was that? I think uh, it was the color scheme that was just a bit... So it, now when I looked at those a little bit uh closer for this research i kind of realized that it's not the design itself with that hosey looking rubber at the bottom which i came to like now but it was just the color schemes that they had at the time um and i think there's something about familiarity as well um uh, they just felt felt unfamiliar and 
for some reason, like completely new design. I was they had nothing to latch onto to make them like them in a way. So yeah, it was a combination of these two things. So we're not a fan uh, at the initially for sure not. How about you, friends? Um, at this point in time, when I saw them first, I was very much focused on are they better? So I wasn't that much focused on are they sleek and are do they look nice? I was more like, okay, why, why are they so different there? So I was more intrigued and curious. Um, so yeah, I can't really tell you exactly if I liked them or didn't like them. It was more a general feeling of interest. Like what is, what is that thing that's completely different to what I've, what I've seen on shelves before? Interesting. Yeah, my initial reaction... I, yeah, it was a big yuck. I've got to be honest. <laughs> it didn't do it for me. Felt very corny. Um, that has changed. It was probably a little influenced by. I'm, I'm not a sneakerhead, but I'm very, very interested in sneaker culture and design. And I watched a couple of podcasts, um, particularly the Complex Sneakers podcast. And there was a period where they were sort of ridiculing them, like talking about it's just lots of European tourists in Times Square rocking these ons, but it's caught on big time right like you cannot move in new york san francisco london for these things there's lines outside the stores and i think their their feeling on them has definitely changed uh and they've started to do some cooler collaborations and stuff like the likes of kith and people like that which has changed perception but initially i was like yeah no and up until as as is almost always the case i start researching this podcast and i'm like i start to buy in <laughs> they get yeah. me you know, the founders, the design story and everything. So, yeah, I've definitely done a bit of a, another 180 on them. Um, and part of my research, this morning I did some market research, guys. You know, don't like to mention it, just doing my little bit for, for the teardowns. Um, I went for a run along uh, the seafront where I live in Brighton this morning to see how many on shoes I could spot. Now, this was a, yeah, well, not a long run, half an hour back and forth down the seafront. How many pairs of on-running shoes do you think I saw? How many runners did you see? I saw about... <laughs> Good question. 30, run 30 fellow 30. runners. Three. So what I... 30, yeah. What I know from Sorry. the from the numbers is that their market share should be around 5 to 10%. <laughs> so, so I would go for... Yeah, one to two. I love France. It's just instinct. Three. <laughs> Um, it was a big fat zero, not a single pair. And, I, and even when I was walking back through town afterward, didn't see any. Um, in the summer, I felt like I was seeing more. You know the brands it was? It was all um, Saucony's, Asics, Brooks, all the proper like hardcore old. running brands. And then little old me in my very beat up old a6 which i am in the market to replace and i'm seriously considering some ons now because they look spongy as f um and my my hips could really use a bit of that cushioning so yes zero but i had noticed um i mentioned this to both of you a pt in the gym that i go to wearing some and that really intrigued me because i've got to be honest i i know that they are a performance brand but I really was a bit skeptical about that. And actually seeing like a proper personal trainer wearing some ons, which I hadn't seen before in the gym, I was like, ah, 
interesting. So that kind of validated a little bit for me as well. Also, a very, very good friend of mine who is a proper runner, like serious marathon runner. Um, he said to me recently, he's thinking about switching out his Nikes for some Ons. And I was like, okay. I, I really didn't appreciate that they were considered technically a very good shoe. Um, I'm not sure they were when they first came out. But yeah, I think increasingly being taken very, very seriously. Um, so who are the target audience for these? Well, it's clearly not <laughs> runners on Brighton Seafront uh, like me. There is definitely a performance focus, or there was at least when the brand first came out. So that is people who are seriously into running, seriously into athletics. But it's fair to say this is a premium brand within that space as well. So you're looking at like 160 to 200 odds uh, dollars, euros, uh, a pair for these things. So they're serious. Um, but yeah, although it started as a performance running shoe, definitely broadening out in the market. And we will touch on that a little later. From a design perspective, I think the fact the sole is so unique there has been this wave of like big sold shoes being in for a while now. So the likes of like Yeezys and Balenciaga kind of setting that like fashion of like the big soles. And I think that has definitely helped a bit with, with them being on a wave at the moment. On a wave. On a wave. Very good. Keep them coming. <laughs> um, so that's, that's kind of little segue for me into the design aspect. So we usually say, you know, what do designers love? about them from a design perspective. Um, I think with this one, I can't quite say it's a love thing, but I do think there's things about on from a design, product design and a brand perspective that are very interesting for designers in the world of design. Um, first of those things is this very tech first design approach and an absolute commitment to that. Um, in my eyes, at the expense of what I would call cool design. I, th I think unapologetically, when these things came out, they weren't trying to look cool. They weren't trying to look sleek. They weren't trying to emulate the silhouette of um, established brands. It was like, that. this is the technology we believe in. It's all out there for you to see. We've, we've made it look as good as we can, but um, it's really the technology. You can, you can see it. You can feel it. Um, and it, it seems like they really stick to their guns on that. Um, I love this quote from, I think it was the founder, it was an interview I was listening to, where he said, we don't design shoes, we design how a runner feels. And I think that really does tie into their ethos that I really appreciate. And that how a runner feels plays out in the technology that we see in the shoe. So I'm going to just quickly cover these off because now we're going to go into more detail so the sole is the big thing right it's it's this sole that looks like it's got bubbles in it and they call that cloud tech and that's the technology that really on is known for and what gives it that very very unique silhouette but then you also have the the sole plate technology which is called speedboard and obviously kind of plate technology in running has become a really big thing particularly in speed running over the last few years and then finally helium which is their like unique foam cushioning as well and those three things together are all about providing the best comfort and performance possible but like i say it's really those three elements go together to create this very very unique silhouette and you don't often see a new brand come along that you could recognize a new silhouette of so 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 soon if you 
just saw the silhouette of some Saucony's and some Asics and some Brooks, even Nikes and um, Hoka's. Be hard to tell them apart, but mm. you, you know an on when you see it, right? Yeah, completely different. Completely different. And I think that uniqueness kind of plays out into the branding as well. The on logo is, it looks like something from a technology brand, I think. Um, again, yeah. for me, a little bit on the slightly cheesy side. I don't know. What do you both think of the logo? That was the one thing that I actually really liked from the hmm. beginning. Like the, I, I don't know. I just like this logo. I like that it's top to bottom, not left to right. Hmm. I like that it's a mix of a, um, now I'm missing the terms, a mix of a, um, or combining shapes with uh, letters. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know. I just liked it. That was the one thing that I also like uh, aesthetically. Okay. Uh, shoes, they were more like, okay, interesting from a tech perspective, from a performance perspective, but the logo is actually one that I appreciate. Nice. Yeah, I I didn't love it at first. I've got to be honest. Again, um, I can I can totally appreciate the reasons you like it though, and I do think it stands out. Um, apparently, the the little like uptick that you see on the the O of on was supposed to look like an old style light switch, uh, and the founder Turned said on. they wanted yeah they wanted one us to feel switched on um, or turned on. Not in a sexy way, <laughs> um, by, by um, through these shoes, right? That that feeling, um, and again, I think it's a little corny, but I appreciate that they're putting themselves out there and don't really care. Um, so yeah, again, respect for that. And if you look at the website, very nice Swiss typography choices, as I would expect. So is it Helvetica? It well. <laughs> if you if you give if me you, 20 minutes now <laughs> yes sorry <laughs> yes it, in most cases it is so it, it 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 defaults to the kind of local particularly on apple apple standard which is a now a helvetica copy but yeah mm. along the stack it gets to helvetica very quickly i'm not sure what they're using like print branding and stuff but yeah it's a swiss um sans serif for sure and i think they execute it so well on the website i actually think that the brand that I see on foot and that kind of style, you go to the website and I actually think it creates a much, much slicker impression right? online. Don't you think? I had the same feeling. Hmm. Like the website didn't match my perception of the store. And I'm not that deep into running apparel anymore. I stopped working for Adidas years ago, so I'm not that much internet anymore but i still had a brand feeling which was technical and yeah technical technology innovation form follows function definitely not sleek and then now for the research i have a proper look at the website and i'm like okay that gives me a completely different feeling than um what the shoe the product actually does and i think also the apparel does so the apparel gives me the same feel that the website does but the shoes do a different thing i i completely see where you're coming from franz i absolutely echo that i, I was really taken by surprise with the execution online i love it i, th- I think it, the execution on the website is absolutely fantastic um 
it feels again more like you're browsing a tech website, maybe a tech hardware website than a fashion apparel site. When I think about, you know, obviously spent a lot of of time looking at the Lululemon website earlier this year, last year, had a look at Nike and all the others as part of this. Yeah. It's, it's, It's really on point. It's really tight incredible attention to detail and again didn't really feel to me like a reflection of the shoe but um actually to your point the apparel yeah just does seem to match it more it's very very minimal compared to what the shoe look like looks like right which is kind of fussy um the colorways are quite vibrant but it's very much simple block color with the apparel which i really really enjoy what about you alan did checking it out online did it sort of match your expectations of what you were expecting so you know that for this research i spend more time in their documents than on the company's website (laughs) and i wish i could say the same about their annual reports but uh, it's a mess you shared a few screenshots on our slack and i cannot believe that 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 yeah i mean is that that's a recent one as well uh, it's 2022. A, uh, 2022, yeah. yeah. So things like, you know, like single word title on a page, I don't know, 10, and then the rest of the text on page 11. So things like that, that should not happen in any document, let alone and the most important document a company creates every year. So I was surprised by that for sure. And I do know that if you are listed in the US, then, you know, you have less you're less creative with how your annual report looks like. It does need to have a certain font and certain look to it. But that was just below standard, I would say. So that their financial documents do not match either their shoes or website. But I do agree with both of you that website is, yeah, it's it's sleek. It does make you be like, hmm, yeah, I like the, that. The inspiration like of video and stuff as well, the storytelling yeah but also like how you filter through and everything is just simple much more simple than on nike's website Mm. maybe it's also because it's just like more focused on one type of sports yeah um so it could be due to that which might soon change actually but let's talk about it later we'll get into that a little later but yeah having fewer products definitely helps although i've got to say bewildering number of um uh, running products that it's I found it hard to distinguish between lots of cloud <laughs> cloud this cloud that and anyway we'll, we'll touch on that a little yeah. later the um the extensive uh product line second so that that's kind of the kind of tech first design approach which I think is really interesting the second thing is their approach to innovation not necessarily completely unique but they really own it as part of the brand story which is they're all about experimentation and prototype first so when I, we talk about the origin story very much was you know let's let's chop up some hose some garden hose stick it to the bottom of a shoe and see if it feels right um and that experimentation, <laughs> that experimentation mindset has carried on and um the founder talks about the fact that they have uh, this ritual that they call monster workshops i don't know if you came across this um no. So basically they go, right, let's go and create some Frankensteins. And they would literally start cutting shoes up and sticking things to them. It feels very hands-on. It feels very, oh, I don't know. It almost feels too basic as a way to innovate and try ideas. But I really liked it. It sounded really appealing, like nothing's off the table. We're not worried about aesthetic. Just stick things to it and see if it works. 
they almost don't care how something looks really they care how it performs i don't know if if that mantra will always continue as they try to appeal to more people but it sounds like a fun place to play around with product <laughs> for sure um and so yeah there is this big emphasis on on try don't tell and that was the way that on originally got retailers to to take a punt on on it's like a lot of people like this looks fucking hideous it's like well go for a run in it and you might change your mind um so yeah that that whole approach to innovation and iteration i i really admire and thought was was super interesting from a design perspective and then the final thing that really catches my eye and i know we are going to go into this i'm sure so i won't spend too long but is the sustainability aspects that obviously in design we are increasingly interested in it is increasingly a concern for the end consumer but there's three areas that i think it's not just lip service they're genuinely doing some super interesting stuff Franz, are you going to touch on this later? Because other um, go for it. Um, so, first of those things is circular, circular economy. Um, really trying to make sure that their shoes can be stripped down completely and all of the elements recycled or repurposed in some way. Um, more interesting to me is this innovation in business model of subscriptions have you have you seen this i was um, intrigued by it i think this this for me is the most interesting thing about anything to do with on that i learn about this which is um and they already have this out there this isn't some something hypothetical so they have made uh one of their shoes out of um the waste product from a particular type of bean can't remember which bean it is now <laughs> maybe one of you can google that um doesn't really matter but it's something to do with the shells of these beans they've made a material that is pretty long lasting but not as long lasting as say uh traditional synthetics or leather so therefore you subscribe to a subscription for this particular one model of shoe and after six months you can request to get a new one sent to you and then you send back the one that you already have and it is completely recyclable they can absolutely tear it all down sort of i don't know exactly what the process is kind of melt down almost the the materials that the, the shoe you've sent back is made from and make another one 100 percent recyclable reusable um and you, you pay like 25 pounds a month in the uk for this um and yeah you, if you want to keep the one you've got for longer than six months which i guess is great from their perspective you can but yeah they just keep sending you this shoe um it's sas sneakers as a service um i just i love that it's a nice uh wordplay <laughs> lovely that they don't call it that that's mine um oh, it's yours <laughs> wow i mean they have to but for me i was like have this, to steal that. this is just uh, that really caught my attention because yeah. from a design perspective it's not just the design of the shoe right which is great really really fascinating product design but designing like uh a subscription model the wording the context the positioning of a subscription shoe is a really really interesting design challenge yeah. the whole logistics of getting it back and all of that i just thought wow it opens up so many interesting design yeah problems. i fully agree i personally think this is uh, i don't buy it i don't think this is a good idea like, I don't think this is the final stage of where we're going with circularity, 
But the thing that I admire so much is that they know this and they still do this. They still try it out, right? So well, it's it's well, like you're having an online shop, you're having like a complicated, kind of a complicated model, a new product, and you're doing this with the, in my opinion, still not full-baked um product that for me it's foreseeable that it won't um why what is the I mean, last yeah, why did first think it's, yeah yeah because to me it's like this is the end game mm. like is uh, it a product uh, that lasts six months oh and then not that part but i think companies owning their own products and us exactly. just renting it because then the incentives are better aligned for them to be more long-lasting so we, with your comment, you were more pointing towards the longevity, not the business model. No, I think there is. I think there is flaws in the product <laughs> itself. If you say something needs to be shipped and reshipped and reordered every six months, I think this, in like by definition, doesn't really match my expectation of sustainability. But at the same time, I appreciate that somebody goes there and tries it out and does all this logistics and does all this thinking and launches something that is obviously not the end of the, um, let's say, that's not going to be a dominant design, but still they're doing it and they're trying it out. And this is what I find interesting from this from this approach. Um, and I will, yeah, that's definitely also something that plays into the strategy um, and how, yeah, helping them to be what they are in the market. Mm. I, I completely see where you're coming from now, Franz. And yeah, I would say, agree with you. It's maybe not, if you were designing what the future of a trainer business, sneaker business was like and how it was going to be the most sustainable, it's not necessarily that, but it feels like a really interesting step. And I admire yeah. the experimentation, which is something I've already touched on as being really interesting from a design perspective. And then to kind of wrap up the sustainability element, which I think is super interesting, is they are also creating a shoe where the materials are all made from um, carbon capture. So carbon uh, taken before it hits the atmosphere from all kinds of processing and um uh, kind of waste as a waste product before it hits the atmosphere, capturing that. And they have created some sort of material that then they can create a shoe from. This is not ready for market yet, um, but they are seriously excited about it, spending a lot of money trying to get it moving and, and have declared that when they get that working, to a industrial level they are going to share it across the industry they're like this is too important to keep to ourselves this this technology now again a lot of marketing yeah in in involved in that but i i do admi again admire the the um the push to to try these things um, so yeah, those those for me are some just some of the reasons why I think from a design perspective it's a really interesting interesting brand um but yeah why are they where they are today so we're going to touch on the the origin story we're going to rewind a little bit and tell you a bit about the people behind this so probably the most well-known person behind on is a chap called olivier bernhard um he is can you front to the german pronunciation of that oh yeah 
Actually, Olivier is not pronounced uh, how the German Oliver would be pronounced. So it's not really that German, but Bernhard. Bernhard. I think that's pronounced the German way. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, and we've always got friends on hand for these these tricky names. Um, Olivier, I'm going to leave his surname for now. Um, very, very successful, world-class triathlete and Ironman champion. Um, so comes from a legitimate uh, performance athletics background. This was basically his job for, for a couple of decades. So he was a three-time world champion, one-time European and 15 Swiss champion uh, in various like triathlon, duathlon competitions, also did Ironman, stuff like that. Um, main takeaway from me about this guy, he is extremely likable. I don't know if you've like watched interviews with him and stuff, but yeah, he seems like a really cool dude. I'd want to hang out with Olivier. Yeah, I agree. Really likable. Likable, charismatic. Um, yeah, fun, fun kind of... Uh, Fun kind of dude and passionate about finding the ideal running shoe. So he kind of left left the sport thinking, you know, how can I apply myself? You know, I've been using um, other brands for a very long time, but he really believed that he could innovate on that and do something better. So he wanted to create a running shoe that offered both speed and comfort. And we've touched on the names of a few of those technologies, and we're going to dive deeper into those because they are so critical to the success of On. Um, but, you know, we, we've already said about the cloud tech, which is the bit that was really noticeable about On, the thing that makes it really unique from a design perspective and makes it have that silhouette, that recognizable silhouette. <laughs> that original prototype was uh, him cutting up pieces of garden hose pipe so i'm sure you can imagine what those look like for watering your garden and then just gluing them to the bottom of one of his running shoes because he believed that that um compression could do something for performance can, can you imagine that going yeah i'm just gonna just gonna chop up my garden hose and go out for a run with it glued to the bottom of my feet i mean i would almost certainly not I do mean, it a good the job one thing that. that sticks that stuck to me when you said their approach to innovation and design and these monster workshops, yes, that it almost feels too basic for innovation. That's the feeling when I got that I got when I heard this story. Like, see, like is that is that innovation? Like yeah. you're sticking a garden hose <laughs> to a shoe, but then apparently. Um, it is, and I like this approach of, um, yeah, taking such a basic idea and then turning it into something that is um, apparently not only different but also but also better. Apparently so, um, and so yeah, he had this sort of Franken shoe um, that he had been testing out and was like, mm, "There's something here," and he he took the prototype to existing brands that he was sponsored by. So I think he had a relationship with like Nike and New Balance, um, and you know had access to contacts there. Pitched this idea, and they were like, "I don't think so, mate. <laughs> Have you seen this thing?" Um, but there's a like, company spending. I mean, I want to say hundreds of millions in R&D, and then you have this guy coming, walking in with hose pipe idea. <laughs> of course, I mean, I think all of us would be like, um, <laughs> like you no can, way, You can man. imagine them, like him leaving that, that meeting and them going, 
how did this guy? Oh, no, oh. no, we know, we know Olivier. It's like, okay, <laughs> he crazy. So stick to your running. Yeah, stick to your running, man. But I'd love to see what he, he took in there. But he believed in this and absolutely single-mindedly continued with that idea. Um, and there came a point at which he, he wanted to take it further. He had been talking to friends of his that were also from a sort of athletics background or or understood the industry in some way uh, and those are two people called David Alleman and Casper Coppetti they were friends of his fellow running enthusiasts and they were it has fair to say a little bit like Nike um, initially skeptical uh, about the idea but remember it's a show don't tell mentality that On and Olivier have and he just said to them look just go and try this out um so i listened to an interview with casper where he talked about yeah i was like i thought uh, olivier was a bit nuts showing me this uh, hosepipe shoe but he went for a running it and casper had this um chronic like knee pain he couldn't run for more than half an hour without it flaring up so he didn't really run he was more of a snowboarder but he went out with the hosepipe shoe on and was able to run for like two hours with no issue it was like i'm in uh, and the rest is history, really. So David came in and had more of the business skills side and Casper had more of the strategic thinking. And obviously you had Olivier as like the the, the design guy, the innovator. Um, and as a, as a threesome, you know, we, 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 we're about to get into all those different twists and turns and numbers, but what company they've created. So, yeah. Why was that product initially successful? Something as crazy as that? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's an interesting story. Three um, three people, one uh, having this weird, I like the garden hose shoe um, term, uh, and then two business people. So interesting story to uh, to even start a company um, in Switzerland. But um, yeah, let's. Let's think about the shoe just in general. And I, Tom, I know you just told us that you're a runner. How many pairs of shoes do you have? Should caveat that I'm very <laughs> a lot. <laughs> no, no. Um, I I run not very far, uh, but try and do it regularly. More so recently, I have to say, because people who know me will be like, "When did Tom become a runner?" So this is this is reasonably last few yeah, months starting to run more and more. I tended to do more like cycle in, in cycling stuff. So just 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 saying, um, how many pairs of shoes do I have? Not that many. I would say like ten pairs of shoes, but not for running. I have literally Only for running. one pair of running yeah. shoes. My, okay. my my beat up old Asics that I am going to replace in the next couple of weeks. That's cool. And Alan, do you, I don't know if you run, right? I think I know that you do not run regularly. I don't like running. If I do, I do sprints. But yeah, so I don't have uh, uh, running shoes as such. I have um, something that's a mix between running and uh, hiking shoe. Uh, I think it's Nike Trail. Yeah. So as an ambitious runner that only runs on the street, so no trail running, you have at least two pairs of shoes. So one comfortable, soft cushioning for everyday runs, but that also keeps you comfortable for doing long distance, right? And then you have another pair of shoes that's the more athletic one. 
a direct shoe, a responsive shoe um, with minimal cushioning. And that one gives you the direct feedback from the ground and stimulates you to run fast. Wait, Franz, so do you run? How do you know all of these things? Like, how do you know that people usually have two so pairs? So first, I do run. And secondly, okay. that was like, um, so I was working for Adidas in for five years and I was in stores and training uh, shop stuff, <laughs> like, I don't know, for four or five years. So running shoe market, um, yeah, works like this, that if you're, so the first thing is you buy one shoe, everyday shoe, good cushioning. As soon as you're more ambitious, you add a different type of shoe. So a more direct shoe. And these two types of shoes are, let's say your basic um, your basic uh, wardrobe if you're a more um, ambitious runner. Um, and that is for, um, that is for, yeah, having two shoes for two, for two different um, types of runs, right? The first one is the everyday run and the other one is the interval training, fast-paced runs or actual races. And that's what the market looked like and still kind of looks like. And, um, that was also what the technology, uh, the, the reason for this is also the technology that was available at the time. So cushioning is basically done with form foam. And then if you put more foam, then you have more cushioning, uh, but less responsiveness. If you put less foam, foam, then you have, um, less cushioning, more responsive and so on. So now I want you to think back of in 2010, right? So these two kinds of shoes. And on actually solved exactly that trade-off that you did not have to buy two different shoes. Um, so the on shoe completely solved that with this rubber hose um, technology, let's say. So the <laughs> rubber hoses made for a soft landing. After the landing, the pipes were compressed so that you get a rigid and responsive feeling from the ground. And then when you push off, you even get this propulsive uh, feeling because of the pipes that would extend again. And this was actually the technology with which they started in 2010. And at this point in time, it actually was revolutionary. They won an industry award from the ISPO, uh, International Sports Expo in Munich in 2010. And from this um, expo, they went home with uh, having signed 19 countries. Um, that was just like half a year after they had their first idea for the company and for this one shoe. 19 companies of the first deal. That's 19 countries. 19 countries. Yeah, so that's, that's going shops. into going into the this expo, they told themselves, we're focusing just on Germany, Austria, and Switzerland. We're <laughs> not doing any other deals. And then dr they drove back three days later with 19 yeah. countries, yeah. And Dila also told them, hey, uh, if you cannot deliver by June, then you <laughs> can call me again next year because my season is over. Yeah. Um, and at this point in time, they also didn't have like a production-ready shoe. They just had this prototype. But still, they got such a great success early on um, that... They got a real boost from this, and now they're a public company, still growing tremendously, um, and actually really made it in the um, in the industry. 
uh, we'll talk we'll talk about numbers later and we'll hear that yeah it is actually a successful company so now what I would do usually is go through the company history and tell you about the moves of the company uh, that they made during the year and then sum it up with a strategy playbook right this But is how <laughs> this time you don't have to because you were there right you were this there time, you, were, you were the puppet <laughs> master I, I don't have to tell you that because I uh, made all of that no so um, this time I'd actually like to turn this around and start with the playbook. Nice. The reason for that is that the strategy playbook is already quite known to us and even to regular listeners. So think about Lululemon. Okay, that's kind of okay because it's a sports brand, right? Think about Birkenstock. Okay, that's also close because it's a uh, shoe brand. But now I also want you to think about Dyson and how they took similar steps. So now playbook, three simple steps, and don't pin me down on that, but still three simple steps of getting or becoming a challenger brand that's actually quite successful. First, you go after a speciality market and aim for winning that. This time, namely triathlon. So no, don't think running as in general, right? Think about triathlon. Um, then, step number two, spin premium and aim for adoption beyond your target group. So, Lululemon, Athleisure, Patagonia, Tech Bros, uh, Birkenstock, not only granola people. Um, <laughs> ouch. <laughs> um, what else do we have? Yeah, Dyson, not only people hoovering their room, but also... Um, Uh, vacuum uh, or but also blow drying their hands so mm. outside adoption of your speciality so um, find your niche and if you do it well enough it will start filtering out to other people the appeal right exactly if you spin it also premium yes um, and then diversify and internationalize so obviously this like super generalized but the awesome thing is when I researched that I was just so reminded of these brands that I just um, mm. that I just um, listed that it's so similar at what they did. But now, obviously, what's really interesting when you think about it is what they actually did in order to make it happen, right? So um, let's think about these three steps in this playbook of going after a speciality market and trying to win that then spinning it premium and i uh, and aiming for adoption beyond this target market and then diversifying and internationalizing and think about these three steps and how um they actually uh, made that happen with um with uh, on you forgot step number four. what is it? use helvetica <laughs> always <laughs> get, on the way get your swiss typeface out <laughs> <laughs> okay so going after speciality market And that's exactly what um, what On did in the very beginning. The athlete was in the center. There was this very successful um, triathlon athlete. But as you know, triathlon isn't the biggest sport in the world, right? It's a, a very niche sport. And even like there are very few pro athletes. And even these pro athletes, they're not really, um, but they're not really, let's say, 
financially well paid. <laughs> well paid. Did, did you come across how much money um olivier was making yeah it was like 150 a year when he was at the absolute peak yeah. of his career yeah. i think something like that 150,000 yeah. euros it's all yeah. swiss francs maybe i don't know uh, no, but it's all matter. somewhere it's there. Like yeah. If you're a pro athlete and you're winning, not, I don't know, 15 Ironmans, which yeah. is like the top <laughs> league of your sport, and you're making this, it's like, yeah, decent amount of money, but also you gotta love that you're sport. on the top of your <laughs> of your like sport. Mm -hmm. uh, so at this, like relatively, um, it's maybe not. But what triathletes are is and I hope you take this as a compliment, fellow triathletes, uh, when you're listening. They're nerds. Nerds. Like they, nerds. they spend um, hours and hours training because like a successful um, race is like eight to 10 hours. I did, um, I listened to a podcast with Casper talking to like, it was like a running try podcast and they talked about the distinction. I didn't realize this, that triathletes are really into technology like most runners not that bothered like the 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 equipment kind you know there's a there's a bit of interest but you can pretty much lace up anything but the fact of the margins and you know if you have a bit more comfort when you're running for that long and riding for that long and it, it really matters and yeah so i learned as well that they are nerds you said fellow triathletes do you do tries as well nah I'm bad at swimming. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's a different story. <laughs> Few afterlongs then. I don't know what two that is. Um, maybe you still have to swim, but um, yeah. So that's exactly what uh, right what you said. So have they have very special needs um, and this dual shoe construction of hey, you use a hard one for uh, races and shorter distances, and you use a cushioned one for. Um, longer distances that didn't really I mean it did work obviously for years but then when you get a shoe that actually gives you soft cushioning but still enough responsiveness and even rebounds um, that's super interesting especially for long distance runners or even people who don't only lo run long distance um, a full distance triathlon has a marathon in it but then you have already swam three kilometers and then you have biked 180 kilometers mm -hmm. already. So that's all in one place. Then you still run a marathon. <laughs> so obviously you're happy about a shoe that gives you maybe not the best of the one world and also maybe not the best of the other world, but like combines these two worlds. And this was really solving a problem for this community of triathletes and generally um, a problem for uh, long distance runners. Uh, so it was really solving a problem of this niche. And that was done like in a very special and close to ground way. Like Olivier, as a former athlete himself, uh, there is a great quote about him. Uh, so another co-founder said, Olivier has a direct connection from his toes to his brain. So <laughs> if you give him a shoe, he knows exactly what has to be tuned. They have a, mm. a name for him. Um, you may have come across <laughs> this when they're doing the prototyping. And he, he said he's no longer like massively close to all of the prototypes because there's so many models and so much iteration happening. But um, 
when they've gone out and tested some and they're still not 100% sure if they're moving in the right direction, they give it to Golden Feet, which is, uh, which is Olivier, apparently. <laughs> and he, he will go out and do, do the final testing. But yeah, Mr. Golden Feet. Yeah, that's, that's exactly. Um, yeah, the spirit that he brought to the company from the very beginning. Uh, another uh, example or story that I loved was when they first signed their a pro triathlon that was actually competing for the world championship and he was actually running in prototypes and Olivier would actually cycle behind him because he was so afraid that anything would go wrong so he would he could be there um as soon as something breaks because it was a still a prototype yeah so this closeness to um athletes and this uh commitment to the product but not only in terms of i am there as an engineer but i'm also there as a co-athlete i know i know exactly what you're going through but i also um know how to design a shoe i think that uh with the groundwork for for everything so having this athlete in the center was really their uh, first step towards going and winning this speciality market um of triathletes slash then later runners in general um next one in this um how to win speciality market is definitely distribution and how you go after distribution um, and the goal for them right away was partnering with the best retailers and not going after um big chains so really going into these speciality mom and pop stores that um have also maybe pro or very ambitious runners uh that are um that that run these stores uh where you really can get a good um service and these stores that actually um yeah will tell you about the shoe and where you go and expect actually good uh good service rather than somebody handing you a shoe and um yeah, lowest prices also so um problem was that classic sales presentations uh, with retailers didn't work. And then they did something that Tom already uh, pointed towards. Um, they actually cold called retailers, uh, told them that they just happened to be in town, uh, asked them, hey, what size are you? They would tell them their size and then they would say, well, I just happened to also be in town and happen to have exactly your uh, shoe size with me. So do you want to go for a lunch run? Uh, and that's how they got them initially into their shoes um, and that's how they actually got them interested and even um, yeah try out and experience the upsides of of this so this was real grassroots uh, selling in the very beginning um, and imagine doing this in like we are not talking about lego in the 1960s where somebody goes to a store knocks on the store says hey do you want to sell this no we were talking about 2011 where somebody knocks on a store uh door or cold calls them and says hey i have a new running shoe and i know that you sell brooks and adidas and nike but i still would like to go for a run with you because i think they're good um so that tactic is also i don't know it didn't doesn't really feel like it's a tactic for uh for 2010 right but it's still what they did with their grassroots approach um yeah and then imagine you are in the store um 
you have uh, convinced this uh, shopkeeper and then you have something on the wall that is just different, that really helps with adoption. And I told you, I was regularly working in sports stores uh, when On came out and it was a real eye catcher. So people went into the store, they had a look at the, um, at the shoe wall and everything looked the same, right? It was just different colors. But if you had a look at Adidas, Nike, Brooks, Saucony, you name it, it's the brand that you either like or you don't like. And then there's a little bit of colorway that's different. Uh, and then there's a little bit of like design tweaks that is different, but in the end, it's all the same. So you would actually not be able to convince somebody to try an Adidas if they were already, hey, I want to buy my new Essex mm. or I want to buy my new Nike because I already am used to Nike. But when they came across the Anshu, they're like, and I think I just want to try on this one. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel. I need to get some new running shoes. I'm going to go, there's like a running shop opposite where I work and you can go on the treadmill and everything. And I'm like, I just need to try them out. Even if they're like, oh, they're not quite right for you. I'm like, I just need to see what the hype's all about. Yeah, It's such a differentiator, their design, isn't it? That you're just so intrigued by it. So um, I can see why why it might have worked um, to get yeah. these, these uh, retailers on board. That was a super interesting experience for myself. Like if you have these diehard fans, they go in there and say, give me this shoe in this size um, and then that's it. And then if you have the, let's say, occasional runners, they go in there, they scan the wall and they really like this one. And then they say, give me this one because I like it visually. And you cannot convince them otherwise. Like yeah. if you cannot convince the one person to try something out, something different. And you can also not convince the other person to try out something different because the one was settled before they came in and the other one settled visually what they liked. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I, I'm going to try not to be too influenced by visuals because it's like, it's a real performance thing, isn't it? You want like the best thing for your feet and just, it doesn't really matter but it does. Like, I can't help yeah. but like, I really am drawn <laughs> to the Hokers. I really, really like the design of those, for example. I don't really love the design of Ons, but if they feel better and like I get a bit of performance boost, yeah, it's hard, hard not to, to give them a go. And, and that's the whole thing that this, like, that was the only other brand that people were actually willing to, buy, to try. So they were so intrigued by this brand being different, by being actually having a visual visual innovation, visual technology, that even if they were settled on their ASICs already, or even if they only liked the Nike, they were still okay with trying out this because it was so different that they were like, okay, maybe that is different. Maybe mm -hmm. I can, um, maybe I can get some upside from trying this, but okay, I don't like this color of the brook, so I'm not even trying it. So how different can it be? It looks, apart from the color, it looks the same. Yeah. So this um, like visual innovation, visual technology is something that really helped them also get off the ground um, in, in the stores. That reminds me of the story that probably most of you know, which is just why Apple chose white color for the iPods. 
yeah. AirPods. How, no, I mean headphones, right? Headphone cables. Yeah, initially cables even. So everyone else used the black, they used the white, so you could know that this person, despite having their phone in their pocket, if the headphone jack and the cable is white, they have Apple. So the visibility aspect was really crucial. Huh? It's hard yeah. to not notice these shoes on feet. Um, yeah, especially since they just rocketed everywhere. I'm like, what are these? <laughs> what are they? <laughs> was my initial reaction. Yeah, and the interesting thing is where, as soon as you get, as soon as, and that's how the story goes, as soon as you get somebody in, they try it on and then you either hate it and you're like, or you're like, nah, doesn't interest me, doesn't fit me. Um, or they're like, actually, that does feel different. Then you can actually tell people the story, right? doesn't really make sense to tell them about um, how this is different, the upsides of this. It's more like, okay, it's different. Do you want to try it on? Yes, let's try it on. Um, it feels different. And then people are receptive of a story because they first feel the difference and then they are also receptive on being told the technological difference or the significance of the of the innovation um and you know what this reminded me of um you said apple cables for me it was dyson like playing on the yeah. the difference being different also a design that was standing out and a design that actually showcased the insight and the technology in it and that was is very similar to on when you have a design that doesn't hide your technology and doesn't hide innovation, but actually maybe even a little bit brutally um, and clunky show it off so that you can get people to experience it. And obviously that only makes sense if there is actually a difference later. So if you uh, have something that's maybe not as visually pleasing, then you try it on and then it's even worse. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, imagine now, that if but... you're like, oh, man, this looks a bit, this is hard, this is out of my comfort zone and it doesn't really work. I, I think that's such a great comp, uh, Franz. Yeah, like, like the Dyson, like show all the tech, like make it a feature. It's exactly the same um, with on shoes. Did you see that yeah. um, although obviously they made major inroads with that like um athletic sicko market <laughs> that that's who they were kind of going after but it also created an issue in that the shape of the sole and the shape of the cloud bits would actually get stones in it so they've had to like work over the years on in innovating that so that it wouldn't get clogged up with stones and stuff it yeah. just wasn't an option to use these things on trails for a long time but they've 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 worked on that subsequently yeah, I, I sent you both the photo of my favorite on shoe. I, I'm not an owner yet, but uh, not if long I by would the sound be of things. In the market, sorry, not not long now. I don't think by the sound, <laughs> yeah, sound of things. See. I might need new hiking shoes, and I didn't know that on is creating uh, also hiking shoes. So I looked them up. Really liked them visually as well, but then I started thinking, wait, like isn't this interesting looking sole the pipe hose gonna have become full of dirt and stones and stuff i don't know that's a concern now that i cannot uh, <laughs> go over you have to try it out 
<laughs> yeah, but once you buy them, it's too late. I need to get someone who has them already. <laughs> and all the reviews I could find on YouTube, uh, they were obviously paid. Very obviously. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Let's quickly wrap up. Um, yeah, going after the speciality market and um, and winning that. So another thing they did very early was direct-to-consumer online sales. So yeah. already in 2012, they started with their um, direct-to-consumer channel, um, which in this case was um, an interesting step because at this point in time, they only had um, small retailers. So imagine even this is an easier thing to do if you have small retailers that you are starting with your own D2C channel because you're not um, yeah, targeting somebody who maybe has their own um, D2C channel. So at this point in time, smaller retailers, specialty stores, we aren't really having a problem um, with that. So they started that very early. And last thing, uh, what they were really, really good at was grassroots marketing. So they really took a um, a really took a um, systematic approach of uh, selecting metropolitan areas, reaching out to local communities, reaching out to local runners, reaching out to influencers, um, kind of going after the best best athletes, but not necessarily, um, and leveraging their connections um, that Olivier had. Um, in the uh, from his time as an athlete, and going very early into community runs and really connecting with with local people. So um, through this um, or with this approach, they actually entered every market, and they were quite early with um, going outside of Switzerland, obviously, because yeah, you're not really building a global brand uh, within uh, an eight million. Um, um, 8 million population country. Um, but this is how they entered every market um, quite uh, methodically. And these tactics actually helped them to, yeah, eventually win the specialized running market. So now, how do you define that? Um, they defined it by uh, taking over or taking the number one or taking over the market share um, from Hoka, actually, being the let's say uh, earlier winner of the specialized um of the specialized um segment and yeah i'm not going to go deeper into numbers because uh i guess we're going to hear about the actual size uh, of uh, on and how it compares to other sports brands later from from allen um yeah but now winning over a specialized running market actually brings them in the position for uh, step number two, spinning premium and um, aiming for uh, broader adoption. Um, here, it's for me always questionable how much of a strategy strategy this can be, right? So how much strategy can be behind suddenly entering pop culture, like being seen on the red carpet um, as a huge surprise, right? You're, it's 2014, you have this running brand that is not really sleek in design, but still kind of has won over the hearts of a lot of triathletes. Um, and then you sp you're on the red carpet. So for many of these things, uh, or 
similar example, tech bros wearing it together with Patagonia. So that's not really, that almost always feels a little bit arbitrary um, and not really like a strategic uh, move. But at the same time, I would argue that some early decisions actually really helped them uh, to do that. And just in general, it can be taken also, uh, or that also in turn means that it can be taken as a playbook move. So first thing is design, this form follows function, not being shiny, Swiss design tradition, no running shoe bling, uh, what else is on this list? Yeah, like bringing out the technology by design, like this Dyson-like design, that is something that definitely helps um, to just differentiate uh, yourself from the rest of the market um, and definitely also helps you eventually spin premium and be adopted outside of your market. At the same time, I also feel like spinning premium and being able to jump from one market to the other is also not possible if you haven't completed step one. So I would argue that you need your diehard fans in triathlon or in any other niche that then wear it in boardrooms or wear it on fashion shows or wear it on somewhere else. Like you need uh, to be a winner of a category that is can be as small as, as uh, you want um, that in order to make this spin-off and this multiplication even, even possible. And then ultimately you can go for this premium spin on the brand and what was the biggest premium spin of on roger federer exactly classy boy <laughs> you can't get a classier than rog can you right no but it's it, that's also like it, it, this is the most obvious strategy move in this space i mean if you go with nike and adidas you do need to you do see that they pay millions million tens hundreds of millions being associated with the best athletes yeah and for a roger to basically fall into your lap because from what i've learned uh he contacted the company mm. not the other way around and not only that but he invested in the company so they didn't even <laughs> have to in a way pay for it and they, they did pay dearly with stocks but still like <laughs> in a way roger had to also invest in the company so that's like a combination of luck combination of having a really good product and a really important thing in this uh, market which is association with best athletes yeah i fully agree this is also this falls also under the category of yeah it kind of happened to them and fell into their lap but also being like being smart with your moves because uh, apparently like first approach was Roger wore ons in an Instagram post. Then they approached him and said, Hey, let's want to do you want to have dinner? Then they, I mean, Roger is Swiss, this company is Swiss. So they did sit down, they did talk about it. And then Roger actually was the one making the move saying, Hey, I want to be part of this. And then they said, Well, yeah, but sports endorsement isn't really our thing. That's not we wanna, what we want to do. We don't want you to be our let's say, um, yeah, endorsement partner and we pay you a huge sum of money, but what we can do is that you pay us money and you are and you buy into the company. So 
I think on the one hand, as I said, also this like pop culture slip into pop culture that is um, is luck, but at the same time, you um, they really showed that they were smart um, using this opportunity and also again doing it quite differently than than other companies maybe would have done it. Yeah, definitely a very different way of doing a hookup with a celebrity athlete. Um, got his sweet 3%, which I'm sure we'll get into the numbers. That's turned out pretty well for Roger. I did, you talked about the premium aspect, and yeah, Roger Federer feels like a premium dude, uh, big time. But I still feel like he, oh, not, I think he's the coolest dude going, but I... It definitely in tennis, but not necessarily cool, cool from a premium like brand perspective. So again, for me, it, it still it felt like a good fit for on. But I feel like when they really started getting taken seriously, maybe in the kind of sneaker community and maybe the more high end fashion thing was when they started doing those other collaborations. I don't know if you're going to touch on that, Franz, but like you know they eventually did a collaboration with kith and i don't think you can get a brand that is a tastemaker ronnie feig and kith doing something with on is like for me that was probably the big turning yeah. point as far as far as fashion and sneakerheads and real real premium starting to happen for them and i i honestly didn't appreciate that they'd done that kith collaboration until doing the research and i'm like it starts to make sense that they're starting to make inroads into into that area as well yeah that's exactly in the same shelf the collaboration that you just mentioned then another footwear and apparel collaboration with the spanish luxury house um Louvre. is that how you pronounce it you better pronunciation Lu than i would do Louvre. Yeah, yeah i think so please correct me if i'm wrong yeah so what else can you do to spin premium as a consumer brand proper b2c brand stores that's what they did um actually during COVID. <laughs> i mean that's obviously they, did, they didn't Good plan timing. to open uh during COVID. but they um actually it turned out that they opened their stores in 2020 i think mid 2020 um then when COVID actually came to an end they were really able to benefit from the running boom. Like people were happy to um, go out and run again, do stuff close to their homes because traveling was still not uh, possible. Um, and another interesting, um, another interesting detail that I didn't appreciate before um, and that I picked up in an interview with the founders is that they were quite happy that there were like, they in they did open their stores in high frequency areas in New York and in similar cities, but they were quite happy that there wasn't this flow of tourists because at this point in time there was only locals going to the store and they were really well able to connect with the local community and they continued their grassroots approach of um, opening run um, run clubs. Um, community runs and they just used this let's say stronger footholds with these stores um to even get closer to to athletes again so it's not that they spun premium in a way that they um gave up their 
proximity to athletes and to to users, but actually they used it in order to um, even boost that uh, with their own stores. And another thing that I found interesting in these stores is um, their retail concept. Um, I have never been to a on-store, the latest or the first ones they were in 2020. So yeah, didn't know first that they even existed, but also didn't go to any. Did you, have you ever been in an on-store? No, it was going to be a question to both of you. Have you have you been in one? I'd love to take a look around because, um, yeah, it does look quite interesting. It The interesting thing that I um, heard was that they even went into, yeah, rethinking how you would buy a running shoe. And the biggest downside they found was that you actually have very limited interaction time with your uh, service person. because they actually exit the conversation to get the shoe in your size and come back. And then they would likely exit their conversation again because something wouldn't fit. So -hmm. what they did is actually redesigning the store around the central piece of furniture with all shoes available in all sizes. So the only thing that these clerks would have to do is open a drawer and take out the shoe that the customer that stands in front of them needs. And this way, they can maximize the um, FaceTime, the FaceTime, and the and the interaction time, and minimize the what they call transaction time, where you basically just um, do stuff in order to make this transaction happen. So I found that really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. That this having the athlete and the user in the center even translated. Um, in their store concept. I really like that. That does sound cool. Love to check that out. I'm a bit guy there's not one close to me, but um might be in London in a couple of weeks, so give them a go. <laughs> cool, yeah. And the last one, I think we already heard the last step that also um helped them to spin spin premium and aim for broader adoption, which is um yeah, experimenting with business model and focusing on sustainability that's just um let's say the topic that um already also helps you to be successful um in the current market right with this cloud neo and i'm not going to go more into this um yeah 100 re- recyclable shoe with the sneaker as a service because tom has already introduced it to perfection <laughs> yeah Dead interesting, though. I think you made a really valid point earlier, though, Franz, that it's not necessarily the perfect end game, but it shows an appetite for trying these things out that we, I think we all admire. Yeah. Cool. Step three. Now that you have uh, this broad recognition of your brand, obviously you also need products that serve the broader audience. So you need to diversify the portfolio. Um, and that's going to be a short one, right? So first one, natural step, going into apparel, which kind of has a different look and feel than their shoes, which I found interesting. Um, then going into hiking, um, again, obvious step for them because they are a Swiss company. Then going into tennis, opening this vertical, again, obvious step for them because they have Roger. Um, but also going into, yeah, athleisure and fashion, Um going after the trend with the big soles, comfort and cushioning, this mellow design that they didn't really have before. Um, so yeah, now we are at um, 
a point where they have less than half of the revenue coming from dedicated running gear. So that is um, really the completion of uh, step number three. Um, and maybe that's not really step number three in terms of a sequence, but something that they have uh, done quite early, uh, but definitely a step in the playbook to uh, become a successful brand, become a successful challenger brand. And I know that in this um, episode, I have referenced a lot of other um, of other brands. Um, if you found yourself puzzled why, then you can, yeah, have a listen to Dyson, the Dyson episode. Then you will uh, realize the, um, yeah, let's say technology outwards design then the second step um, for me, like spinning premium, for me, that was closest to Birkenstock, like how they managed to first see that somebody wore them on red carpet and then went into this premium collaborations with designers. So I think step two was best also shown in the Birkenstock episode. Um, and the last one, I think uh, you can again do with uh, with Dyson, this... Um, diversification of portfolio and thinking of where you're strong and where you can enter, um, which other verticals you can enter. Um, yeah, that for me was very close to Dyson and also uh, Lululemon. Yeah, I think Lulu is a big one. You know, the yoga niche, probably more of a niche than running, to be fair. Uh, and then the, obviously the, the, the running one there and being a premium one and then starting to expand into other, other pursuits. That feels like the closest comp to me but yeah really nice kind of thread there friends from ones we've done before there's definitely some some nice patterns um i'm i'm really curious which which brand of shoe you actually run in france you you me you, what kind of oh questions God, is yeah, of course geez sorry <laughs> how could i even <laughs> question obviously it's adidas that they, no, the thing is it it does wear off a little bit currently the reason is that now the things that I own from my time at Adidas are like the last pieces are breaking. Uh. <laughs> that actually speaks for the brand. If had a subscription and could send them yeah, off. No, uh, no. Uh, they, that's, I don't know of any of the, uh, of such a service from Adidas, but yeah, I'm now slowly opening up to other brands, but yeah, you know, or you can see how um, successful um, they were at uh, branding me mm. and I was only working there for uh, four or five years during my studies actually so that was only part time um, and that was phew, 10 years ago more than 10 years ago <laughs> wow wow and now I'm still like not a single different other running shoe than Adidas in my closet I've, I've, I've been researching uh, running shoes and there's one particular model of theirs like mad expensive I'm not going to buy them because they're designed for fast runners <laughs> um, not like me with the plates and everything but Adidas hasn't shown up a whole bunch for me in all the other categories it seems to be like the really high-end stuff but conversation for another time but yeah a brand that I expected to show up more but it doesn't really in the more wide consumer running space but um yeah, you can correct me if I'm wrong at some point, Franz. But uh, yeah. yeah, let's not. <laughs> let's go into Ooh, the actual hard stuff, hard numbers. Yeah, not hard. I'm curious about the that. main stuff. So that was an hour and a half of intro <laughs> for what you really came for. 
which is I meant the numbers. not hard in terms of mm, no, no, it's difficult, fine. but hard in terms of the facts, the, facts. the hard, the yeah. hard facts. So the intro is over. Let's get into the the hard, <laughs> into the facts. Uh, as always, we're gonna play a little bit of the guessing game, just trying to understand um, how successful on really is. We mentioned a few times today; it's a success story. But what does that mean in terms of uh, the numbers? So I'm gonna have here four brands that Franz and Tom, you're gonna now try to guess if one is bigger or smaller in terms of the revenue. And we're gonna start with just uh, an easy one, just something to to uh, warm up to, okay? So the first brand we are comparing on with is Nike. Yeah. So does on or Nike have higher revenue <laughs> uh i don't, don't i mean it's my, my boys nike it's got Biased. to be it, isn't it? yeah uh -huh. yeah it's gonna be by many 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 factors i would say how many factors i'm gonna say uh 20x 20x okay front 15 15x okay we'll come to this in the end but for now i can just tell you that Nike is right now at around 50 billion US 15. dollars. 15, uh, sorry, 50, five zero. Five zero. 50 billion dollars oh. yearly revenue. Okay, next one. Let's compare our beloved on with our beloved Lululemon. Oh, so, hot warms. Revenue time. wise, which one is bigger? I'd say Lululemon. Mm, same. Lululemon always surprises like constantly, doesn't it? How big it was. So yeah, I'm gonna go with Lulu as well. I I base it on age, on age, age as well. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Just they had ageist. More time to mm. go. Your ageist front. <laughs> okay, nine billion is the revenue of Lululemon, and you are correct. It is larger in terms of the revenue than on. Next on is Asics. Hmm. Cool. I, I think probably Asics are smaller. I know Asics are again one of these brands because of the dad shoe thing, really on a wave at the <laughs> moment. But I think that's still quite recent. So I'm going to say, wanna say Asics, despite the age, Tom, despite the age, and mm. despite the fact that in the last twelve months they've become very popular. Um, now I've got. Does anyone want to buy these vintage ones? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I can smell like Ooh. I can just smell how badly they <laughs> wrap back on. <laughs> so you're going with uh, on, on, on here, okay? Front. I still think it's Essex. Essex. Okay. So three point six billion in revenue. Essex. Yes, it is bigger. Is it? Yeah. And now let's do Hoka. So on versus Hoka. Hmm. I oh man, you know what? When I was researching this episode, watched a lot of YouTube stuff around them. Every advert was Hoka. It's like they are targeting hard, trying to you know draw me away. Uh, I'm going to say on still. Same. So, France, you're going with on, yeah, for the first time. Mm -hmm. Okay, and you would be correct, which makes me think that you did actually a little bit of research this time on the revenue of these companies. Um, I only you? knew Nike, actually. Okay, okay. So on uh, 
with the revenue, estimated revenue for 2023. We don't have the exact numbers yet, but based on the quarterly report from the third quarter of 2023, it is estimated they will reach 1.7, yeah, 1.8 billion in the Swiss francs, which is a little bit over 2 billion in US dollars, which puts it over Hoka, which is 1.4 billion. And going back to the Nike versus on comparison, Franz, you said 15x. And what did you say, Tom? I said 20x. 20x, yeah, it's 25x. Yeah, still a long way, but they're on a good path. So, tell you something else I learned doing this podcast research. I'm not ashamed to admit that I did not realize that in Switzerland they still use a franc as a currency. I don't know why <laughs> I assumed it was a euro country, I had no idea. Yeah, that's and just how thick I am. The reason that's funny is that where do you live and what currency do you have? Oh yeah, tell, tell me about it, mate. <laughs> yeah, I would happily have the euro. <laughs> I know my my company is a bit weird as well. My company, country. Um, yeah, yeah. I feel like Switzerland's got their shit together though. <laughs> I feel like they're better better at the decisions. Um, the other, oh no, I'm not going to make a joke about neutral running things anyway carry on <laughs> <laughs> yeah um okay so we talked about the revenue let's go into some sale stats so i was curious to learn where on is sell the most and also compare this with nike just to get a feeling for uh you know their yeah geography so in terms of the ge geography, I was assuming that most of their revenue comes from Europe because usually the country or the region you're from is also your best-selling um, region. Uh, in this case, that's not true. So Europe, um, in Europe, on makes 30% of their revenue. And in North America, which is mostly US, but partially Canada as well, it is 60%. Whereas for Nike, it's 40% from the North America and 28% uh, Europe, and then 70% greater China. I'm assuming that's Hong Kong and China. Uh, whereas for on, the Asia Pacific is only 6.6%. And this is another recurring theme in these uh, podcasts, which is, oh, they can grow their Chinese presence, which these numbers also support. Another thing I was trying to understand is uh, the ratio of how much they sell direct to consumer versus wholesale, because that's one of the things they mention a lot in their financial documents. It's like, oh, we have very strong direct to consumer presence. And the reason companies like to talk about this is because when you sell directly, you make more money because you don't have to split this with someone else, so-called middleman. Uh, so yeah, for on, the direct to consumer is 36%. And wholesale is 64. And I, again, had a look at Nike and the numbers are somewhere there. Actually, Nike has a higher direct-to-consumer ratio. They have 42%, which is very impressive for a company of this size. 42% direct-to-consumer. Yeah. Sorry, what did you say, Franz? I didn't expect Nike to have such a high no. uh, percentage of D2C. And now we come to the thing I was really surprised about, which is what percentage of ONS revenue is coming from shoes versus other products. Do you want to take a guess, Tom and Franz? I have to admit, I think Franz might have already given us a spoiler on this one. Spoiler? Either, or? Uh, not exactly the same. 
I did I did say half of their revenue is coming from um dedicated running gear, but running gear can also be yeah, apparel. Apparel. Um we're gonna guess. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's it's clearly surprising. So I'm gonna say forty percent from uh apparel. Forty percent from apparel. Mm. Okay. Front. Are we not the, doing the, running the question or was, shoes? The question was shoes, but apparel is also fine. I can give you both stats. Mm, shoes, I would, yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Let's go with the classic 50, 50%, 50 shoes. shoes. So Tom is saying 60 shoes, 40 apparel. France is saying 50, 50, right? Okay, so I'll give you the Nike numbers first. So Nike is 66% shoes, 30% apparel, and then 4% the rest, which is equipment on makes 95% of their revenue from shoes 95 shouldn't have been that surprised actually but yeah yeah i was i mean uh the point here is they and then they stress this in their financial documents they're overly reliant on shoes at the moment uh which is again also great potential growth potential and i'll talk about this in a bit but first i have to tell you a story so as every week preparing for this podcast every time uh i open the financial documents and the way these annual reports are structured is there is a first section called risks and then after the risks come description of the business and then numbers and so on and i was comparing nike's annual report with ons and I had a feeling I had to scroll for a very long time on the ONS annual report to get to the numbers. I'm like, what the heck is going on? Like I'm scrolling, scrolling for 20 seconds, 30, 40. I still didn't get to numbers. And with Nike's, you get to numbers right away. I was like, what is going on? And I have a closer look and Nike's section for risk. So every annual report needs to have a section explaining, explaining what the biggest risks of the business are. So for Nike, it's a one page. And for on, it was, I believe, like 39 pages or something like that. It was oh. unbelievable long. Yeah, it was just a page after page of risks. Um, that was surprising, but I think it talks a little bit about also the different uh, mentality, different countries. <laughs> Another awesome quote from one of the founders. When they are in the US, they, get, they always get told, oh man, you're such a European company. And when they're in Switzerland, they always get told, oh man, you're such a US company. Oh yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> nice. I actually have the note here, 43 pages of risk, of explanation of risk. Good on them. Crazy. Detail, yeah. detail. Um, but they also talk about the opportunities and that's what I do want to spend some time on because ON has, a, I believe, a really bright future. Um. So just looking at the last four years of how their revenue developed is impressive. So in 2020, uh, they had 500 million in revenue, 2021, 850, 2022, 1.3 billion. And then now apparently it's going to be over 2 billion in 2023. So company, which is already, you know, pretty big, quadrupled in four years. So went from 500 million to 2 billion. Wish I'd got in early on that one. Maybe like Roger, right? Mm. Roger with 3%. 3%. I'll come to how much mm. uh, Roger has Roger's made with this. Roger's done all right, name. <laughs> <laughs> I actually didn't have a look at if he made more money with 
this investment than anything else that would be an interesting comparison but i think it has to be up there with his best i think it, it, he there's an interview with him with complex with matt welty who's great like really good interview and um talks about the jordan comparison of like the deal jordan made with percentage sales versus um rogers nike contract i think this has been a very smart move yeah it's a playbook a lot of uh very very good uh yeah the biggest stars in sports are not doing but he's like so, okay I, he said like i'm lucky i can afford to delay my payouts right i've got to that stage whereas he, he respects a lot of athletes want to just take a signing bonus and be happy with that yeah. but yeah we'll get into that it's crazy so as i was saying so for 2020 to 2024 23 sorry in four years the company quadrupled at the same time, the running shoe market, which is what you always, always want to compare. So did uh, the whole market grow as much as the company or did the company out, uh, outpace the market? And yeah, on is outpacing the market by astonishing rate because running shoes is expected to grow 4% year over year over the next five, six years, which tells you that the delta between the two is, is huge. So on is doing something right mm. for sure. And I think you touched upon this, France, like their avenues for growth. Um, so what I came across is there are different ways they can look at their growth. One is obviously the product expansion. So not only shoes, we talked about 95% uh, stat. So they could do more than shoes, apparel and so on. Then it's only, then it's also, they could do more than running, do different sports. Then it's geographical expansion. They can do more than Asia. Sorry, <laughs> they can do more in Asia. Uh, and then also distribution expansion, you know, having more stores of their own, relying more on D2C, direct to consumer. So yeah, a lot of opportunities for growth. <clears throat> and there's one more thing I wanted to share with you uh, to illustrate this point, which is if you compare ON's website with Nike's website and have a look at the categories. So I'm going to just read out the categories uh, of what shoes or sport product you can buy from each of these two companies so if you go on on this website you basically have six categories road running shoes hiking shoes lifestyle shoes tennis shoes track and field shoes right that's the categories if you go on nike's website listen to this lifestyle running football training and gym yoga basketball american football baseball golf tennis athletics walking volleyball netball rugby hockey uh, hockey dance um high interval inter high intensity interval training cheerleading uh woman only category but still and as the last one cycling and there's probably more there are almost certainly more in other categories as well it's nuts probably yeah um and in that interview with Roger Federer, he talked about in the meeting, an early meeting he had with them where they were like, Roger, there's so much potential. We can go into basketball, we can go into blah, blah. And he was like, cool your guns. Like, keep your focus Tennis. on running. <laughs> running for as much as you can because, yeah, we don't want to do that early kind of um, spread yourselves too thin too early. Yeah. Be, become very well known for doing this this technical thing very well in running and we'll we'll take it from there because clearly you know they've not expanded massively into other areas yet and they're, they're, they're growing very very well so you know 
must be difficult to resist, but uh, they're, they're in a position where they can hold fire. But yeah, so much yeah. potential categories for them to go into. A lot. But it's also true that maybe their technology better fits to certain sports than others. So they have to also. Can you, you imagine know, what the basketball their... ones are going to look like for, for those big leaps? <laughs> it's going to be like. Yeah. I mean, I do have a question about mechanical doping and where is the line? Um, so it's like, a, is it a 50 mil? Uh, I think it's the limit for um, like uh, Olympic Seoul. athletes in Seoul, Seoul height and stuff. I uh, know one of the Adidas ones you wouldn't be allowed to wear in um, like uh, the Olympics and stuff like that. Sorry, Franz, for when you're going after Austria's <laughs> gold medal. But um, yeah, not sure what it is in other sports though. Yeah, not sure either. Um, but I do want to talk about numbers a little bit more. <laughs> <if> you... <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Let's go further into the gross margin, one of my favorite things. Uh, so just a quick reminder what cross margin is. It's basically the money a company makes from selling its product. And after they deduct all the expenses directly associated with making this product. So I like to say that this is basically how profitable a product is. Uh, so for on shoes, this would basically be, so the expenses that would be deducted from the revenue from the top line would be obviously like materials, textiles, rubber, and so on manufacturing expenses, maybe the licensing deals, quality control, and so on. So another guessing game we will now compare on in terms of the gross margin with the same companies, with Nike, Lululemon, Hoka, and Asics. Um, so first, let's do... I'm thinking whether it's better to... Yeah, let's, let's reverse it, and I'll just ask you this way. Which of the companies... Nike, Asics, Hoka, or Lululemon, if any, have higher gross margin than on gross margin. None of them. Lululemon. You're close, Franz, but Tom is correct. None of them. So on has uh, actually impressive 59.9% gross margin. Uh, Lululemon has 57. Hoka 50, Asics 50, and Nike 45. I have to confess that number revealed itself to me in my research and yeah, it seemed very, very healthy. <laughs> yeah, not as healthy as ESOP, mm. but still super healthy for this type of product. And I think it also shows that On is investing differently than, than Nike and other companies. Uh, yeah, the good news is also the company is not just profitable with its product so it's not just gross margin that is positive it's also the net margin so the company has been profitable since 2022 in terms of the net uh profitability um which is very important for them because they went public in 2021 um so just a few words on that as well so in 2021 swiss company has went public not in switzerland um well, has gone public in New York um, because it just makes sense to be there. I think Birkenstock has done the same. It's just the most liquid, so to say, stock exchange. Um, so yeah, on the first, very first day, the stocks were offered for $24 a piece and they went up almost to $40. But now the company is trading at $27.5. So this is now end of January, 2023. At the same time, we have to say that it was not the best time for IPOs in the last few years. 
just uh, one example, for example, is Bumble. So the dating app, they were listed at $43. That increased to 76, and now the company is trading at 14.3. Yikes. Um, Robinhood listed at 38. Today traded at 11. Uh, Coinbase listed at 20, 250. Today at 132, and so on. Tom, what's the smirk on your face? About? I keep seeing these thumbs up coming up on your, your over your uh, video, and I don't know where they're coming from. <laughs> what kind of thumbs up? Like little emojis. I don't know if I'm just imagining things. Franz, was that you? I see them. You did. Yeah. See, did you see them as well? I did. Yeah. yeah. That's what I was smirking because I've never seen those before. Sorry, Alan. I was distracted by animation. It was very interesting. Maybe that's gonna. I mean, if you're watching YouTube, maybe you're gonna see that. Yeah. If not, then you won't. Okay, I thought you're. you're about it. I thought you're you're smiling about it particularly. I liking all your your facts, <laughs> <laughs> which they're, they're great facts, but um, I've never seen that before. Sorry, sorry. But that's leading us to the main point of this whole podcast, which is how much money did Roger Federer make with <laughs> this investment? So right now, the company uh, on is valued at just above eight point five billion dollars so the three percent that he owns unless he sold them in the ipo uh, would have made him 250 million us dollars and let's just check roger federer career uh earnings can you say that again let's make that a guessing game what what would he have made yeah, that's a good 3%? guessing game 250 250 million. So, how much do yeah. you make on court compared to that? Exactly. Oh, no, that's on court great. or career earnings, that's the difference because on court is price money and career earnings is price money and every uh, like, ad well, deal that you had. Everything. I mean, de um, definitely won't have made 250 million on court, I wouldn't have thought. So, I, I, I'd imagine he made more than that in sponsorship over a, what, 20 year career? Yeah, it's, I'm with. The same guess. On course price money, maybe not, but with advertising deals. Wise, I think. Yeah, that's true. Insane. Took him a little less time. Yeah. <laughs> so your guess was that he made more? More career earnings. If you yeah, if if it's um no, it's just prize money. Just prize money, find. then I I imagine that he's like way less in prize money. So it's one hundred and thirty. 0.6 million in prize money since 1998. Yeah, um, but I, I'm still looking for like the total, you know, package. Mm -hmm. So all the all the other deals because he did sign a 300 million deal with Uniqlo yeah. alone. Yeah. So that was crazy. Yeah. Mm. Good guessing, Tom. Yeah, enjoyed that. We like it when sports numbers come up occasionally. But um, yeah, Rog, doing some some good deals. Yeah, not just rocking on the field, but also off the field. Yeah. So yeah, and I think that was a good deal for both of mm. uh, yes for both parties. Big time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so now that we learned all of that about on, how do we feel about it? It's judgment time, France. Would you Judgment buy, time. hold, sell? Well, as always, since this is a public company, we do have to pre preface this with saying that this is not an investment advice. This is just for entertainment purposes. Yeah. I think 
that would still you could still buy on um the biggest concern that i have is the balance between let's say being this specialized brand that really comes from um comes from performance that helped them to actually spin out into the lifestyle area and now kind of becoming a lifestyle brand so tom already talked about him not seeing any issues um i also made a quick check in terms of how many people run awning shoes in the athlete area so that wasn't a lot um marathon winners um i just did a quick google and i think i found 2023 boston marathon one mm. in the female 20 top 25 and zero in the male 25 uh top 25 one year earlier uh new york marathon one and one like one person in the top 25 for female one person in the top 25 for uh male uh contestant so I don't know, this stretch or double strategy between being the running brand that also makes you interesting for non-runners, but now being a lifestyle brand. So having this stretch, I'm interested how they will do that. Um, and that's a little bit of my concern. What I think or what made this concern a little um, smaller is their recent opening of their do they call it research lab in Zurich? So they do um, seem to invest heavily into R&D and it seems that they do want to stay a uh, technology leader in their specific field and not necessarily only go into fashion and um, and yeah, broad adoption. Yeah. Which they'd need to do both if they want to keep their current growth, right? So you're not going to grow only by being the specialty sports brand uh, or a triathlon brand, but you will also not stay so awesome if you're only doing, um, let's say, broad public mass adoption products. So you're cautiously buying your dollar I cost am. averaging into on. Yeah. Okay. Tom. Um. I think I, yeah, probably definitely inclined on the buy side. It feels like a, there's not much risk the other way. Um, nervously say things like that on here. As, as per <laughs> Alan's uh, disclaimer, I, 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 just, I don't see them having the kind of big leaps that they've had the last five years, but it does feel like there's so much potential headroom for them to go into these other categories even if they captured a little bit of market share with that technology and some of them, it's going to carry on delivering some growth. I share Franz's biggest concern is that now they are um, publicly traded, there is going to be pressure for growth and it feels like casual leisure is probably the biggest growth category for them. And it is, we, we, we see that on the street. We see that the fact that it's not actually used by that many athletes. And um, that's very much driven by fashion rather than technology. And right now, that look, that chunky soul, that technical aesthetic is in. 
it probably won't be in a couple of years. Um, so that is my concern as well. But like you say, Franz, investing in in that side of things, the the, uh, the founders still hold an enormous amount of stock. I think, yeah, reasons to be optimistic. And uh, I I would be I would be uh, buying, and I wish it that I had a time machine. <laughs> <laughs> how about you Alan? especially especially if we had time machine but no in this case i'm optimistic about their future i think there's so many categories they could go into and with the capital they have gained from the ipo and also becoming profitable i think there's so many things they can do also on the marketing side um to really compete with nike adidas and i think they're in a better position than some other brands to do so so I can easily see them getting to five, maybe even somewhere here between five and 10 billion uh, range. Um, so I'm optimistic about their future for sure. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Seems to, seems like a similar story, definitely to like Lululemon, where we were concerned about some of the avenues they were going into like lululemon going into the trainer market for example the sneaker market felt well out of their comfort zone i don't think we'd likely to see on the difference with on is it's a shoe technology and it feels like it could apply to a bunch of other things they're not suddenly going to start making tennis rackets we don't think so they've luckily got something that feels very transferable around sports so definitely a bit more bullish um on them so yeah yeah, what an interesting company. And uh, as always, one of those that uh, I went into a little meh about, but admire uh, certainly a lot more. And maybe check in with me in a couple of weeks and maybe I'll have ended up going for the ons for my new running shoe. Next episode, Tom, you're sharing this story. <laughs> Which brand you went for? <laughs> certainly will. Cool. Well, I believe that's it. Uh, Nice job on the on. <laughs> <laughs> on on. Yeah, on on. <laughs> so thanks everyone for your attention. Oh, actually, if you did enjoy this episode, you will also enjoy uh, our seven-day free email course. Uh, it's what we call mini MBA. And uh, you sign up for the mini MBA, you receive an email each day teaching you a business concept uh, relevant for designers. Some of those that we covered in this episode some of those that are just general irrelevant for our work so if you enjoyed this type of content you will definitely enjoy our mini mba and to sign up head over to d.mba forward slash as tom says forward slash mini minus minus mba so that's d.mba slash mini minus mba thanks from thanks france see you in the next one see you thank you see you